Well, hey, welcome. So happy that you're joining us on this Memorial Day weekend, whether you're from Frontline or Center or The Well or any other church, uh, or maybe you're just at home watching this. You saw it on social media. We're just happy to have you. Glad that you're here. My name's David. I'm our teaching pastor. And we are in the midst of a series that we've been in since the beginning of January. We've been tracking through chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And we're right at the end. We only have a couple more weeks left, and what I'm so excited to jump into today is something that I think is really significant for the time that we are in right now, uh, particularly with the coronavirus and particularly with the seasons changing and spring and the start of summer coming. So I'm excited what God has for us. But before we jump in, one thing I do want to acknowledge and just say to all of you who have served in the military or served our country in different capacities or have had a family member who did so, we just want to say thank you. Just from the bottom of our hearts, from Frontline, from Center, from The Well, from The Zero Collective. We're, we're just so grateful for the way that you served and sacrificed for the rest of us. It means the world to us. And so on this Memorial Day, we just want to take a second to say thank you. So as we jump into the text, uh, Jesus, it's this really interesting piece of the story. Jesus has just been turned over. Uh, Judas has betrayed him. Jesus is now going before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And Jesus is accused of something that is so interesting and so important that what we're gonna talk about today, that Jesus is accused of shutting down the church and there might be some truth to it. So let's check this out. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 53. It says this, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. This is so important because it says the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the teachers of the law, they're all together. These people who represented the religious system, who set the code of ethics, who, who reminded people this is who God is and this is what God said and this is his law. These same people were hosting a charade of a trial. They brought Jesus in to, to condemn him for something that he didn't do. I mean, think about that. Jesus is on trial for a crime he did not commit and those that are there to uphold the law and to make sure that those who are following the law are doing so correctly, those are actually committing a crime against Jesus. I mean, the irony in this story is thick, but here's what happens. It's something, Jesus is accused of something very specific. It says this in verse 57, then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. It's so interesting that Mark tells us this. The writer of the Gospel of Mark says that even their testimony didn't agree. They're trying to do this trial and they're trying to condemn Jesus and so they're bringing in witnesses from over here and over here who come in with a very specific story designed to tarnish Jesus and condemn him to death. And yet even the people that they asked, their testimonies are not lining up. People know this is a charade and people know this is a fake trial. There's no justice that seek, that's being sought here. What's being sought here is a very specific condemnation for Jesus and who he said he was. So here's, here's what's so interesting though. And this is where I wanna go with our sermon and with the focus today is this, that often Jesus builds things like his church 
by tearing other things down. So Jesus was accused of saying, you know, I'm gonna tear down this church and I'm gonna rebuild it. I'm gonna tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. But did he actually say that? If we actually back up just a little bit, we can go into John chapter two, verse 18. This is just a couple days earlier from this particular spot in the story. Jesus is inside the temple courts with his disciples and he's addressing the religious leaders in the temple courts. And it says, Jesus flipped the tables of the money changers, those who were exchanging money, those who were selling sacrifices. Jesus flips the money tables, pushes them outside the temple. And the people who come to question him are the same religious leaders that are putting him on trial. They said, who gave you this authority? John chapter two, verse 18. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And here's what Jesus actually said. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What he says is important. The actual words he uses are important. So if you're looking at your Bible, you're looking at your screen or you're looking at at the words that we have right underneath here. Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But verse 20, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are gonna raise it in three days. We have the luxury of looking back on this story and knowing that the temple Jesus was talking about wasn't the temple, the physical temple that they were standing in when Jesus said it. The temple Jesus was talking about was his body. He was saying, you you destroy this temple Right here, this temple, my body, you destroy me, I'll raise it again in three days. Watch me. And it was that statement that so set off the religious leaders, Jesus threatening to shut down the temple and the system, the religious system that had existed for years and years and years. What they took that as is Jesus was threatening them, I'll shut it down and I'll rebuild it. But what Jesus was talking about and where Jesus was going was actually much greater than even just the words or the understanding that the people listening thought. I want you to think about this. Go back to the trial scene. Put yourself maybe in the shoes of Peter. This is bold Peter, right? Peter's probably one of the older disciples. He's certainly one of the louder disciples. Peter gets himself in trouble a lot because he makes these these big and audacious claims that Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll always stand with you. I, I would die for you. Peter often has a big talk, but can't always follow it up with his walk. And so Peter, it's funny that Mark even points out this is where Peter's at because Jesus gets taken away. The disciples scatter and they flee and so they disappear. But Peter's kind of hanging out. He's hanging behind. He's watching this trial unfold into the court of one of these, uh, one of the Pharisees or religious leaders that's going on. Peter is hanging back by the fire with the other guards, watching, keeping quiet and hiding. Bold Peter is not bold anymore. Peter Peter had changed. Something happened inside of Peter that he was fearful. He was scared. He, He didn't know how this was gonna play out. And so instead of being with Jesus like he had so boldly proclaimed before, he hung back where it was safe. He hung back where it was quiet and he hung back where he wouldn't be recognized or at least so he thought. I just can't help but think what is happening inside of Peter right now, just emotionally. What does that feel like when you know the people who have authority, people in positions of power are out to take something from you? 
And in this case, Peter, it's his Messiah. It's his leader, it's his rabbi, it's his friend. They intend to condemn him to death. It is so out of Peter's control, and yet his response is not boldness, it's not even to fight, it's to hang back and to hide in fear. Can I ask you a question? Was Jesus wrong about Peter? I mean, it wasn't even that much longer before this scene that that Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, on this rock, on you, little rock, I will build my church. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you will be such an integral, foundational, and important part of the start of the church that I came here to build. You, Peter, are gonna be a part of it, but now fast forward a couple days or weeks, and here's Peter who's hiding and cowering in fear from these other religious religious leaders. Was Jesus wrong about Peter? You know, maybe you've wondered this, um, why are we outside today? Right, Memorial Day weekend, why would we do it outside? Why not just do it in the studio or in the building like we had done plenty times before? And, and here's the thing, uh, we wanted to get off location, okay? I'll just speak personally. I was sick of being inside, I was sick of the studio, I was sick of the building. I just had this idea, like what, what would it look like to just get out here where it's nice, where it's fresh, where there's trees that are budding and birds that are chirping and boats that are out on the water. This to me adds a different level of comfort. This to me, like especially this time of year, this is my fresh start. When I can just be out here, it's like I get to relax. I've been cooped up for the winter. I've been cooped up for this COVID, you know, stay at home order stuff. And I think so many of us, as we look back at the last couple months, maybe some of you say it, I'm just tired of the way that things have been. I'm tired of talking about them. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the emotions. I'm tired of being in the same four walls for these last couple months, and I just need something new. That's what I felt. That's why we're out here today. That's why I couldn't wait to get out here today. But but maybe there's like another level to that. Maybe if we go a little bit deeper, there's something more that's going on there. Maybe some of us actually can relate to Peter. Some of us that maybe as we look back on the last couple months, there are things that we did, things that we said, ways that we lived, maybe ways that we've treated people or talked to people that we're actually not proud of. Maybe it's things like, maybe you're even in a position like me where, where you talk to other groups of people and you, you, you get excited and you say, I wanna live with big faith and I wanna live with great sacrifice and I wanna, I wanna pray big prayers and I wanna live differently in a time that presents an opportunity to do so. And yet when you look back or when I look back on these last couple months, I mean, if I'm honest, I, there are some things that I'm ashamed of that I just don't wanna acknowledge. I don't wanna sit with those, I don't wanna, let me give you an example. Uh, Earlier on, so like in early March before a lot of this happened, I actually got sick. I don't know if I had COVID or not, it doesn't really matter, but I was scared that I did. And so here's, here's what happened. A couple weeks later, I think this was like late March, early April or something like that, uh, Blake Hicks, our executive pastor for the Zero Collective, shot me a text, me and one other person, and said, do you wanna meet up for a social distanced dinner? Blake brought in dinner from a takeout place and we all sat six feet apart. And it was so refreshing and so enjoyable just to have a fun conversation with just the three of us. But then here's the thing, Blake asked this question and it was a funny question, but an incriminating one. And he said this, hey, what, what is the funniest or most awkward or weirdest thing that you've bought on Amazon in the last month? And I went, oh man, 
he's gonna get me. He's gonna get me. I start looking through my Amazon trying to find anything else that I could talk about or say or share that would at least somewhat answer the question. And here's what I had to own up to. I said, a couple weeks ago when I was sick, I actually got scared. I actually got really scared. And I started thinking about the hospitals being shut down. I started thinking about equipment running low. I started thinking about medication. So I said, here's what I bought on my list. Uh, I bought a pulse oximeter off Amazon. I bought a nebulizer. I bought some medication for asthma, because I have asthma. Uh, I, brought, I bought a blood pressure cuff, and then I bought two giant things of Gatorade for electrolytes. Because I, here, here was my approach. If the coronavirus is gonna get me, I'm gonna go down swinging. That was my approach. I'm not gonna go to the hospital. I'm gonna bring the hospital to my house. And here's the thing, did I get it? I don't know. Did I need any of that stuff? No. But here's what it revealed, or here's what it kind of started unearthing or pulling up out of me, is this faith question, is this fear question, is this, it started bringing up these deeper issues inside of me that I didn't know or maybe didn't want to acknowledge were there. Maybe some of you at home, you go, I, I relate to that. If you look at my Amazon list or what I've purchased online, there's a lot of stuff that says I'm fending for me and I'm fending for myself only. I think for some of us, maybe it's the words that we've written on social media, some of the emails that we've sent, or maybe if you could audit some of our phone transcripts and the way that we've talked to people who we work with or talked to bosses or talked to clients or customers, maybe it's how we've talked to our own family members, that as we look back, we're actually not proud of the way that we've acted or lived. Maybe a lot of us are ashamed of it. This is Peter. This is Peter, Peter, who made big claims and big, bold statements saying, Jesus, I won't leave you. Fast forward, G Peter's hiding. And he's ashamed and he feels guilty and, he, and he, he, he just carries this weight of shame. And here's the thing, Jesus builds his church by tearing other things down. This is what happened even in the temple courts when the religious leaders questioned him. They said, who gave you this authority? And Jesus says this, you're gonna destroy this temple, but I'm gonna rebuild it in three days. He was talking about his body, but I think there's a deeper truth here too, that when Jesus builds his church, not physical buildings, but when Jesus builds into people, people like Peter, people like me, people like you, when Jesus builds his church, he does so by tearing other things down. It's what happened in this story and in this passage. It's what happened throughout history since then. It's what's happening right now, that Jesus has torn other things down, things that we've built up that we think we need, our independence, our freedoms, our consumerism, our uh, idolatry, our sports maybe, fill in sports or entertainment or TV, what, whatever it is, things that we have filled or replaced with him, what Jesus does to build his church is he tears other things things down so that he could build something new. This is why I wanted to be out here today. When I come to the lake like this, when I get to be outside, when I get to enjoy, especially Memorial Day and early spring, this is what it feels like to me. It feels like a new beginning. It feels like a fresh start. It feels like a do-over. And as we look back on for Peter's life, here's how Peter acted and he hid back and he stayed back and, and hid. 
maybe some of us, as we look back on the last couple months, we're not happy, not proud, not looking forward to anybody revisiting, especially me here, how we've lived the last couple months. But here's what Jesus has to offer. Jesus offers us a fresh start, a second chance, and a new beginning. And he even does so for Peter. I love this. Uh, in John chapter 21, Peter actually, or Jesus gives Peter a second chance. I wanted to jump in a boat so badly to do this piece, but I'm not going to. But imagine like you're at the lake, you're at the Sea of Galilee, you're out there and, and, and Peter and the disciples are out fishing. Now Jesus had already died on the cross. He had already rose. He'd only seen his disciples a couple times. And so Peter and the other disciples, some of them are out fishing, doing what they were doing before Jesus had called them. They were out fishing and someone from the land called out to them and says, hey, you caught any fish? Try throwing your nets on the other side. And so they do it and one of them exclaims, it's the Lord. And so Peter, so overwhelmed with excitement, we got bold Peter back, jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, comes and sees Jesus. It says nobody even acknowledged who he was because they all knew it was Jesus. And here's what happened. Jesus turned to Peter and he asked Peter this question. And the question goes like this, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, Lord, of course. I mean, you know I love you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, of, of course I do. Jesus responds both of those times. He says, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time and it says Peter was hurt because Peter also did something else three times a short while earlier that could have condemned Peter. People said, do you, do you know Jesus? Are, are you associated with him? Weren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you with him? Peter denies it three times and now here we are, fast forward a couple weeks or months and Jesus and Peter are on a lake shore, much like this one and Jesus gives Peter a second chance and a new beginning and he, he introduces or invites him to be a part of it by asking a different question and that's this, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then do what I created you to do. Can I just ask you a question? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Then do what he's called you to do. Peter goes on in Acts 2 verse 42 to be an unbelievable kingdom force. What they start is this home church movement. Jesus ascends into heaven, but he sends out his disciples, and this is Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And Jesus says this to his disciples, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. And Jesus ascends into heaven, and Peter, with a mission, with a zeroed in focus, heads out and begins planting churches that reach thousands upon thousands upon thousands thousands of people. And here's what I love. When Jesus said, I'm going to build this temple again in three days, what Jesus built was something different, something better, something more intimate and personal and relationable and something that would last forever. I love one of the pastors I looked up to for years and years and years used to say the local church is the hope 
of the world, and I can't agree more. Peter goes out and with the other disciples starts boldly proclaiming to people, lost people, people who didn't know Jesus, didn't have a relationship with him, didn't walk with him. Peter boldly declares to these people, this is who Jesus is, and this is how you can experience salvation through him. Peter shares that message. The other disciples start sharing that message and thousands upon thousands come to know the Lord. And I love this. It says this, let's read it. Acts chapter two, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, catch the location in the temple courts. But they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts in the homes, catch the location. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I remember a couple weeks ago when I told our small group about the home church model that we're moving forward with for the next couple months. When I told them for the first time a couple weeks ago, they were excited. They said, this is awesome. So you mean we can come together on a Sunday morning or whenever, watch church together, bring kids, watch the online stream you know, together, bring kids and there's gonna be children's ministry for them and, and everything. We can do that together as a large group uh, large group for our small group, so 10 or 12 of us together. And then we can also use that as an opportunity to invite other people. I said, yeah, isn't that cool? And they loved it. And, and here's why I think they were excited. Here's why I'm excited. And, and here's why I hope you're excited too. This is so close. This is so similar to the early church model that Peter and the disciples started right after Jesus ascended into heaven. This was the church that Jesus had in mind, that when Jesus said, I will rebuild it in three days, when Jesus rose three days later, it was a new page and a new chapter and a new church that was being started, a church of people. Not, not about buildings, not about the big temple, but about the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives within us in the church. Scripture says, where two or three gathered in my name, there I am also, I'm with them. This is the church that Jesus came to build. This is the church that Peter started to build in early Acts. And now this is the church that you and I get to be a part of for this next season, meeting together in homes, eating together, studying together, praying together. And one important piece, I don't want us to miss this, is inviting people who are not connected, who are not believers, who have not encountered or interacted or given their lives to Jesus. We actually get to extend an invitation to them and to invite them into this process, just like Matthew 28 says, to make disciples of all nations, of all cultures, all neighborhoods, all languages, all backgrounds, all, every context that you are in. I, I just wanna ask you, who is it in your life that God is stirring inside of you to invite to be a part of an experience like this? If you're not yet ready to start gathering together, that's okay, nobody's gonna force you. We still have an online service that you can watch and engage in. But the question I wanna ask you is, who is God stirring in your heart right now to invite into a community of believers who believes on and lives under the, the fact and the umbrella that Jesus gives us 
a fresh start, a second chance, and a new beginning. That's why we're out here today. I said that earlier. I love springtime. I love Memorial Day weekend. I love the lake. I love the fact that there's a boat behind me right now. I love all of this. This feels like summer. This feels like fresh start and new start. And here's what's so important. Jesus gives us a fresh start that despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our shame, despite the ways we've lived, despite the ways that we've messed up, what Jesus offers us is life. And what we get to do right now is to invite others into that same experience. So as we live over the next couple months and as we move into this model of home churches and then eventually start meeting together back in the building, here's what I don't want us to lose. I don't want us to lose sight of what Jesus intended to build all along and the invitation that he's given us right now in this moment to be a part of it. So as you leave today, as you're ready to tune out, as you're ready to enjoy maybe a vacation, maybe a long weekend or a day at the lake, whatever it is, is for you and for your family. Here's the question that I want to ask you. What is God inviting you to be a part of in his church in this next season? Not five years from now, not 10 years from now, not 20 years from now, but maybe in the next couple weeks and months. Is God stirring in you to start a home church and to create a community of other people who need to encounter him that feel lost or broken or forgotten right now? Those who maybe have needs right now that aren't being met. Who is God stirring in you to create a community for them? Is God stirring in your heart to join a community? to help someone else start a home church and invite others into that community? Is God stirring that in you? Maybe you're a third group of people. Maybe, maybe God is stirring in you to reach out and to build relationships with those that can't gather yet. Maybe to reach out to them via email or Zoom or text, whatever it is. Who is God stirring in you and in your heart right now to be a part of the church that he is building? Remember, Jesus builds his church by tearing other things down. Down. I think we're coming out of a season right now where a lot of things have been torn down, but on a fresh start and with a new chapter, I just get excited about what is God going to build through you in this next season? Let's not miss it. I hope you can be a part of it. Let's pray together. God, thanks for a new start, a fresh beginning, a second chance. Thank you for salvation in your son, Jesus. Father, we just pray just for your church right now. We pray that you would raise up church leaders, people who love you, who have devoted their lives to you and to follow you, who desperately want to serve you. Father, would you stir in our hearts those that are disconnected, those that are lost, those that are hurting, those that are struggling. Would you stir in our hearts, bring specific people, specific names to our minds right now. God, give us the boldness that we see in Peter to reach out, to invite them to be a part of your church. Father, use us right now to continue to grow and build your kingdom, to move into lost spaces, to move into broken places, to move into broken relationships and broken homes so that we can bring what only you can bring, Father. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.